Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O-Line Media and Sunseeker TV, in association with Carl Anthony Payne Entertainment, present Black Arm of the Law. All right, all right. Welcome, Black, everybody. Black like I never left. Black again. Black AF. Once again, welcome to another wonderful episode of the Black Arm of the Law. I am your host, Carl Anthony Payne II. Today's episode is, is a good one. Today's episode, we are paying tribute. We are paying homage we are uh, um, honoring the late, great Colin Powell. You've occasionally said, when people have asked you, how do you want to be remembered? You've said, I want to be remembered as a soldier. What does that mean to you? Why do you want to be remembered as a soldier? What did it teach you? Because, because that's what I was. I mean, people see me in, in, in different positions, National Security Advisor, Secretary of State. Is he a political candidate or not? But my profession uh, was was soldiering. And so I, I left New York in 1958 to be a soldier and I was a soldier for 35 years uh, before you know I, I did mostly anything else outside of soldiering and so um, um, when, when I'm gone I, I hope that people remember me as a, a good soldier a good service person because I served in other ways as well uh, and then I tried to do my best and I and I left behind some great children if, if there is and I believe there is somebody something from spirit out there uh, that's how you'll be measured at the end today's guests one of our guests is a former guest, goes by the name of Mr. Peter Edge. Mr. Edge served as a member of the U.S. government's senior executive service with over 32 years of federal and state law enforcement experience in criminal investigations, border security, including extensive leadership and managerial skills developed by leading large organizations at the local, national, and international levels. And for those of you who don't know what that means, he was in charge. He was the HNIC and he was in charge of a whole bunch of money. He's also been permanently assigned to serve as the director and chief executive of Homeland Security Investigation, the HSI, the second largest criminal investigative component in the United States and the principal investigator. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us um, today. Uh, you know, I guess is is bittersweet. You know, we we we, uh, we lost a great one. I want to say he went home. You know, and 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 the person that we're speaking of is Mr. Colin Powell. And uh, you two gentlemen have worked in some capacity with him. Am I correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And uh, I know before the show we were talking about the impact that he had on each other's lives personally, but also universally. Talk to me a little bit about your experiences with Colin Powell and how that came to be. I'll start with you, Peter. So uh, working in the Department of Homeland Security, we work very closely with the Department of State. And we had an international presence uh, that was quite extensive. And on several occasions, as an agent who was assigned to headquarters, I was part of delegations that were led by the Secretary of the Department of State. And one of the things that I so fondly remember about uh, Secretary Powell, General Powell, uh, was when we went on these uh, delegations 
vacation trips to these different locations around the world and these different uh, primarily law enforcement related events. How gracious he was to every single one uh, of us who was a part of the delegation, whether you were the assistant secretary or of uh, one of the Homeland Security components or the secretary of the department or a staffer carrying all the books of which I was at the time, uh, you know, preparing the senior leaders for their presentations and that sort of thing. But he talked to everyone. He pulled us aside individually then always shared some pearls of wisdom that uh, have stuck with me and stuck with me uh, as a leader, a future leader from that point uh, in the Department of Homeland Security and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So uh, fond memories of uh, some of the messaging messaging that he shared. And I have subsequently shared that repeatedly uh, over the years that followed. So what were some of the words of wisdom that he laid on you? Like what's something that stuck with you? You know, it was uh, there are certain things I was thinking about this uh, when we were talking about doing this, but he always encouraged us to focus on the mission at hand and leave your ego at the door. And the mission at hand had to be accomplished, and that had to be the primary focus. So every decision that you were lucky enough to be able to be in and make should be for the execution of the mission, not for you personally or professionally. So you always put the organization first, and that was something that I never forgot. And even that helped you get through uh, the process of making very difficult decisions, Decisions that were unpopular, decisions that only someone at your uh, decision-making level or above would understand. The other thing that really uh, affected me uh, in a very positive way, and I couldn't wait to be blessed enough to have the opportunity to do it, is to leave the place uh, in a better standing as far as people that look like me. He made it very clear that uh, no matter what the level, entry level, going from a working agent to a manager, you need to level the playing field and the playing field needs to look like the community in which we live and look like the United States of America. And that was something that was so profound to me that I I was able to translate that to supporting at least seven or eight uh, African-American and additional minorities outside the scope of those eight uh, that became senior executives. And uh, we were able to put together a mentoring program and you had to give up your time. I mean, it was many lunches that I spent with folks trying to help them understand the process, prepare them for the process, going over resumes, helping them write their their various statements and all meeting all the requirements to uh ultimately get through the arduous interview process to become, uh, you know, what is a flag officer in the civilian government corps as a member of the senior executive service. So those those words really meant a lot to me. And I had I met him on several different occasions at different stages in my career. Um, I was working in New York City and I had the opportunity to meet him at his plane and get him to another flight uh, at JFK Airport when I worked out there. And again, you know, Pearls of wisdom, just in the course of normal conversation with a down-to-earth guy. Uh, so 
fond memories there and really appreciative of those uh, those experiences yeah yeah you know he, you know he actually uh, <laughs> when you say down to earth well you know like it, it reads that way he came across like that I think you know when I when I first saw him I, you know he just reminded me of like a, of a great uncle you know what I mean like he reminded me of somebody in my family who who you felt like you know was stern but that you could go to you know what I'm saying he looked like he drank Kool-Aid he do he looked like he still had cornbread and Kool-Aid and, and those type of things you know but it was interesting you said something interesting tell me about a time where you had to make you know both of you as a matter of fact uh, we'll start with uh we'll start with you again peter and then we'll jump over to jeff tell me about a time where you had to make those hard decisions as you were as you were one of the you know that you were speaking of you know there are a lot of bad actors in the world and uh the special agents at home hey, hey, sorry say that again hello there's a there are a lot of bad actors in the world you're telling me not actors like yourself, <laughs> but, yes, I know. but but I'm I'm talking about egregious violators, you know, yeah. criminals. Yes, and yes. Um, you know, you want to get these people off the street. And I remember there was one time when uh, the agents uh, in HSI were working an investigation, child uh, exploitation, child pornography ring. And it was a very, very large, large case. And unbeknown to the team, it had a lot of uh, nexus to political donations to a certain administration. I won't go into those specifics, but needless to say, you know, it was a tough decision and it was mission versus politics. And the green light was given by me ultimately because all on the chain of command, nobody wanted to make that decision. So that to me was the quintessential example of making a decision to go ahead and take off the street more than a hundred actors around the world who were involved in this uh, worldwide ring and making sure that they paid the price and children were protected. That is putting mission first and nothing else got in the way. Now, I had to be the one to take a little heat for that. Uh, I had to explain myself to leadership and uh, understand that my boss's boss, who was the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, had a boss, and he sat at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So uh, we, we had those discussions, but it was an excellent investigation, and it took some bad people off the street who were doing very egregious things to defenseless human beings. So that was an example of how his messaging kind of gave me strength, uh, among others I've met along the way, but that is in direct correlation with uh, that message that I received from General Powell. Wow, that's amazing. I, I, I want to give Jeff a chance to speak uh, as well, and then we'll, I want to come back to you with a question about that. Go ahead, Jeff. So, Carl, um, I was um, assigned to uh, Secretary Powell's uh, protective detail with the State Department, and um, I came on board uh, in um, in 2003, July of 2003, I was sworn in as agent uh, and went through training all the way up to March of 2004. Diplomatic security, if you don't know, is the law enforcement arm of the U.S. State Department. The U.S. agents, the diplomatic security agents are stationed uh, internationally all around the world at U.S. consulates and embassies providing um, security, protection, uh, protection of information, protect, protection of people, etc., to include the uh, U.S. Secretary of State. Um, as such, uh, there were on more than one occasion uh, situations where uh, as an advance agent, uh, where you actually lead the, um, where you prepare the uh, the uh, security program 
for the Secretary of State uh, before he arrives uh, in, in country, where you have to make uh, very uh, well thought out decisions. And some of those basically cascade, uh, as Peter said, uh, up to, you know, the highest of, of the highest uh, uh, law enforcement or um, executive branch uh, individuals in, in the government. At the end of the day, like Peter said, the mission comes first. But at the same time, you have to make a decision. You have to be confident in yourself and in your training as to what is going to be feasible in terms of carrying out that mission. Now, specifically, um, I'm thinking about a situation in which uh, Secretary uh, Powell was uh, in Darfur, uh, Sudan. And although I was not uh, one of the advance agents, I was on uh, the team that actually arrived with him. It was um, uh, very tense moments. Uh, This was during... the uh, Darfur, uh, and, and Darfur is actually still going on, um, but this is the first time that a U.S. Secretary of State had arrived in Darfur, Sudan, to look at the conditions uh, that were that were plaguing uh, the western region of Sudan. And if you're not familiar with Darfur, it's basically um, a modern-day concentration camp. And if you can imagine coming into Darfur uh, in the middle of July with the heat the way it was, I mean, you're talking about well over 100 degrees. And also the fact that the minute that you get off the plane, all you could smell was death um, from mass burials and all types of, of war crimes were going on. And, you know, having being on the ground and knowing that you are surrounded by, uh, as Peter would say, bad actors, people who really don't want you there and knowing you have to hold the line and make sure that you keep uh, not only the secretary safe, but also the rest of, of, of the entourage that, that is surrounding him, uh, fellow State Department employees, and obviously fellow agents and press, it could be uh, quite taxing. Uh, it could be, um, you know, a, a very, um, you know, it could be a situation where you, you really don't know what to predict uh, from one moment to the next. But those type of situations, I can think about even one time we were in Port-au-Prince where we actually had gunfire uh, break out right in front of us uh, at the presidential palace in which we had to escort the secretary to safety. And and one thing I can tell you about him is that um, he had um, nerves of steel. Did he reach for his gun? (laughs) The funny thing is, Carl, he did reach for his gun, so to speak. But you know, he was so calm. We had, had to actually coax him to to move in, in, in the shelter and, and everything. He, he really was unfazed by yeah. a lot of what was going on, uh, simply because of who he was. Yeah, he yeah. definitely had that swag first. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, going back to what um, Peter was saying about, um, you know, the whole aspect of, of the mission first, uh, about how, you know, you as African-American or a person of color, you are the face of America and being able to present that to the world was very important to him. Um, when I first came on a detail, I was actually part of the second wave of, of uh, African-American agents uh, that actually um, that were um, assigned to the detail. But when uh, Secretary Powell was first appointed uh, as Secretary of State, there was only about two or three agents uh, that were African-American that were on a detail. And and um, as his driver uh, told me, and his driver had been with him for quite some time, even when he was with, even when he was a general, he basically told his his management team that I want more people on this detail that look like me. Mm. He said, I, "Quote: I have no problems with what I see. The agents that I see are very good, but none of them look like me." And that. 
uh, was a turning point. And, and, you know, that was part of the reason why I was fortunate enough to, to get the job with the uh, second, uh, you know, with the, with the U.S. State Department and be assigned to the uh, to the detail. He provided so many opportunities for for everyone. I mean, even when you think about the fact that, you know, we, we, we joked a little bit in the beginning about Howard University, but not only was he on a, on, on the board uh, of trustees at Howard, but he was also a um, very significant uh, contributor to the United Negro College Fund mm-hmm. and several other organizations that um, that uh, are very prominent in providing youth um, with opportunities. So it, it's really funny. You can't really put Colin Powell in one bucket and say he was this, he was a general, he was a secretary of state. No, he was many things. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, he was a, he was a true champion and a true leader for everyone, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of, of, of race or creed. Yeah, I mean, I th- uh, you know, first of all, hearing that, that's dope. I love hearing stuff like that. It's interesting because, you know, I've, I've had this show on for a second and I talked to a lot of different guys and, you know, that have come up through the same uh, similar process that you guys have had. And and they always talk about each one teach one in, in some sort of situation, meaning, you know, there's always someone that kind of either guided them or showed them the ropes in a sense or, you know, told them which pitfalls to watch out for and things like that. And I think that that's the thing that's resonating here is how he did the same thing with you guys. You know, he gave you guys words of wisdom. He bought you guys in in certain situations. You know, he did things to to so that you could do the same thing for the next ones coming in. You know what I'm saying? He put you in a position, even with just information and knowledge, you know, um, and he put you in certain experiences. He gave you that to be able to um, bless the next one. And that's that's really what's needed a lot of the times in our communities and us as fathers, us, us as leaders, us as black men. We need to be able to drop knowledge, drop signs, drop jewels of wisdom on each other so that we can avoid some of these pitfalls moving forward, you know, and we know how to navigate in this uh, world that we uh, uh, live in currently, you know, so that's that's the one thing that I, I'm hearing here today, which is which is awesome to hear, you know. Tell me something, uh, Colin, that most people didn't know. Well, I can say that, you know, uh, sometimes you know, when we would um, be at his residence doing residence watch, he would love to to go out. He watched Martin? Did he watch Martin a lot? He watched our show? He watched my show? I, I don't think he watched Martin that much, Carl. I, I, I don't I don't think so. I get it. He was more Cosby. I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> he was more conservative on. Okay, I can see that. <laughs> I'd have been shocked though. Had he been like, "Yo, where my?" Had he been like, "Has somebody seen my Martin tapes?" Is, can somebody? I tell you, one of the things he used to love to do is he, he was he used to like to tinker with his uh, with his cars. He, he um, had a couple of Volvos that he would like he would like to work on, mm. and uh, you know he he would do that on a weekend. And uh, truth be told, I mean, on especially on the weekend, he would um, he would lose his uh, protective detail on purpose. He would say, "This let me go ahead and do what I need to do," and we would like obviously shadow him, but he would definitely um, go about his business. I mean, because he he, he was that type of person. So he knew y'all were there, but it felt like y'all wasn't there. <laughs> exactly. I got you. Exactly. Y'all leave me alone. <laughs> I'm just saying I can still see you in the bushes. If you make a certain I can see you, I feel better. Yeah, he he was uh, he was something else. He really was. I mean he he was um and and when you think about I mean you know born in New York, you know, uh, raised in in the Bronx, uh, general. I mean what, what what could we how, how could we technically how how could we, how could we have uh, really protected him? You understand what I'm saying? Of course, of course. I'm from it New York, so I, I get it. Exactly. You, you know, uh, b- before I ask the next question, Peter, you have a story 
about something? No, I, I was just agreeing with you. I mean, how, oh. how can you uh, change someone who's comfortable in their own skin, you know, after all his accomplishments? You, ju- you just have to be flexible, just like uh, Jeff and his team were. I think I think what's interesting uh, uh, was how I felt when the news came down of who they were appointing. You know, when when he first got that position, I was like, "We won, one of us, yeah." Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, how, mm-hmm. how how did you feel? I mean, tell me about you guys and where you were during that time and that experience, and and you know what that felt like. Well, first first of all, he was appointed by a Republican administration, so that was a monumental feat. A four star general. I I mean, he had accomplishments that could not be denied. And that was what was so special about it. And then as time went on, you you know, you got to realize that he's just a regular brother who uh, cared about people and was, uh, you know, purebred patriot and appreciative for being a United States citizen. I mean, all that sounds kind of syrupy and corny, but, you know, it's uh, it's. A remarkable person to to endure all that he all the challenges that he faced and overcome them and still be willing to contribute. I mean that is is special. And I think we as black people we have a very uh, unique way of showing that to the world. And as I know that both of you gentlemen have have traveled and you see the type of attention you you get uh, when you travel. Now the, the thing about you know. Uh, uh, Colin Powell was he was a rock star. So mm-hmm. when he traveled, when he went to Europe, or when, he, or when he went to, it didn't really matter where South America. People saw him and they literally, um, you know, applauded and they wanted to be near him. So he had that rock star status. So you know, beyond being just Secretary of State, everybody wanted to be near him. <laughs> I can remember the uh, first uh, trip that we had uh, that I did in advance um, here to Saudi Arabia, advanced trip. And it was very interesting because my first um, overseas advance was with two other agents. And I don't know to this day if it was the first time, but it had to be one of the first times that the Secretary of the uh, U.S. State Department sent out an all-black advanced team. I mean, it, it literally, it shocked us. And we, we and where were you guys going? We were going, to, we were going to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And when we got on the ground here, the, the Saudis looked at us and they just lit up when they saw us. Oh, okay. It, and it was, it was like a very uh, congenial moment. Right. But when, uh, but when uh, Colin Powell got here to see, you know, members of, of, uh, you know, the Royal family, the way they just basically, I mean, they just, they, they loved him. Um, you know, Prince Bandar and, and uh, Colin Powell, were great friends. In fact, um, you know the uh, the Saudi uh, residents in Washington D.C. is literally right around the corner from um, where uh, uh, Secretary or uh, General wow. Powell's uh, residence is right now. So wow. I mean, it's what I want to say is, you know, sometimes we become polarized by 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 the media, by what we see on television, right. but people don't really understand the relationships that are really being bonded uh, behind the scenes, and and, and, and you know the, the long lasting relationships that people have with each other. I think it was wasn't. Uh, didn't he have uh, wasn't he of Jamaican descent as well uh, if I'm not mistaken that's what it was he's just cool he's just cool he had this. Yeah, I tell you, he had that cool yeah, swag. swag. Yeah, I swag. just, I just want to hear a story where he's like goes off one day. We're like, what the bumper clock, man? <laughs> yeah, 
you know, where he was at the office and was like catering in oxtails and hey, beef patties and, and whatnot. You know what, and you know what else, Carl? You know, something else is very interesting. Talking about relationships, um, I had an opportunity one day to talk to uh, his wife, uh, Mrs. Powell, Alma, and she was telling me about, you know, she's originally from Birmingham. And she was telling me about the fact that her brother and uh, Dr. Rice's um, uh, uncle taught school together at the same school in, uh, in, in Birmingham. So these are like so many different types of relationships that that you don't know about until people start talking. So, you know, the chances of of Dr. Rice, who obviously was the first black female and uh, second black secretary of state and Colin Powell being uh, friends for uh, families, being friends for for decades is is something that a lot of people don't really know about. You know, I mean, once again, it's it's all about the relationships um, that that you don't know. I think that's a that's a that's a that's a gem right there for those of you listening that's that's a gem right he just drops some jewels and gems on you if you're paying attention and i constantly tell my son that 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 you know relationships and 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 friendships are the wealth that's the wealth right there those those things are the things that go on unrecognized or you know those are the things that that are going to be most beneficial if you got one friend one true friend and and information knowledge as well so and those relationships are, are the, the things that guess I mean if we're speaking outside the box obviously a lot of things are, are based upon relationships it's not what you know is who you know and then sometimes it's not who you know is who knows you talk to me a little bit about the Gulf War from the Bronx to overseeing the you know to being in that position but what, what, what was going on with you guys at that time mm. At that time, for me, I was a customs agent assigned to Washington, D.C., and uh, it was right after 9-11, and the department was getting ready to, uh, the Treasury Department was getting ready to be broken up into different pieces and parts in the Department of Homeland Security. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion, a lot of coordination and collaboration to show that government was, different branches of government were working together. So we at the Customs Service uh, had a lot of agents who were assigned to go over and follow money, cultural artifacts and things of that nature over in the Middle East during the Gulf War. So a lot. We had a contingent of agents uh, that went over there and doing that type of work, following the money. At the same time, of course, the military was doing their thing uh, over there, but it was a joint effort. And that's that's where I was at that point. I was uh, on the back end in Washington supporting those efforts. And of course, uh, you know, when it's all about mission, you you get your orders and you do your job and you try to make sure that nobody gets hurt. You know, at that point, I was uh, working for a Fortune 500 utility company uh, in uh, in Jersey. And uh, I was doing a lot of uh, critical infrastructure protection, uh, doing assessments, uh, security risk assessments on, on the critical infrastructure, uh, making sure that, you know, that our grids uh, stayed up and running and our power, our uh, gen sites, our power generation sites. Um, so I was actually in in transition between uh, leaving local law enforcement, uh, going, I was in corporate, and and ultimately within the next year or so after that, I was going into uh, into the state department. So still okay. part of the mission, just more, just more uh, from from the private side. Gotcha. All right, 
getting back to uh, Mr. Powell, let me ask you something. Now, I think I think here was the thing for us, right? We have someone in a, in a position of power, you know, that, that was appointed in a, in, a, in a big position of power who looked like us. You know, I mean, I mean, I think the thing that, that threw us off was, oh, you know, he's a Republican. You know, I mean, most most I'm not saying all, uh, but, you know, most most black families that I grew up with were all Democrats and this, that and the other. And, uh, so it's like, OK, but he does. He's not acting like a Republican. <laughs> you know, he, you know what I mean? I mean, this is somebody you look at like, man, I would hang out with him on a personal level. Obviously, you guys have said this, that that is the case. He, he seemed, you know, he, you know, because he, he seemed to be that type of individual that you guys would actually hang out with on a personal level. Am I correct? Yes. Why do you think he didn't run for president? I, I can I can only speculate <laughs> based on what I, you know, what my limited uh, you know knowledge of, 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 of the interworkings are going on. But it definitely seems like a job that that's like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I, I get that. But I'm just asking, what do you think his reasons were for not uh, running? Just that, you know, he, he, he was good. He had he had lived a life of service and he had served uh, time and time again. He left the life of service and became a political servant, so to speak, you know, in those other positions. And when you see what really goes on in those positions and the dynamics that take place. Right. You realize there's no Democrat or Republican. They're all the same. Exactly. There you go. Say it again. Say it out. Say it out loud. They're all the same. I said it when I was on with you before. They're all the same. And if you're true to the mission and you're true to yourself, you know when to say when. And right. it's I think it's a it's a lot harder for those to who have been in the military at the highest of levels, and I witnessed this with several retired generals. It's hard for them to say no because they're more patriotic than a lot of us will ever be. And they're, you know, bound by duty. You know, they'll salute and keep going. So I, I really think it was a hard decision for him to come to that conclusion. Because I'm sure there were a lot of people who felt as though he had a great opportunity to lead more, but uh, he, he was done. Right. But but maybe he thought, and this is just me spitballing again, maybe he felt like he knew he could make more of a difference in the position he was in. Like, based on what we're talking about, you know, when, you know, uh, I think when you know all the things that it, that are entailed, you're like, oh, I'm definitely not going to be able to do what I've been doing or make a difference because one, I'm not willing to play that game. And two, I'm not willing to play that game. <laughs> exactly. And I want to say <laughs> what I want to say. You know, you know what I'm saying? And I, I mean, you know, so, so if we're talking about, you know, the uh, Trump, for example, you know, had no clue in my opinion, didn't seem like he knew what he was walking into at all. He seemed like, you know, and, 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 you know, because again, these are the, these are decisions that I don't think people are making uh, lightly, right? You know, you know, you know, you know, people who have normally been in this position their their entire careers, and they know the inner workings of politics and mm-hmm. and the government, and then all the different, you know, as as you say, the different sides and whatnot. I definitely don't think Trump knew exactly what he was getting into at all. What do you think Colin's uh, opinion of Trump was? If you or, or do you know? Laugh, we Jeff. By, we we can only go by what. <laughs> only go by what what he's uh, what he expressed uh, you know in uh, in the media and it obviously it wasn't very favorable um, he didn't endorse him for for to be president right. and he's a Republican um, and, he was like and, you know, Republican, but, and a lot of Republicans are scared to do that I don't know why to, to just be honest be, yeah be real just be real I mean it, it's pretty sad 
because even the Republican Party that we see now is not the Republican Party that we used to see uh, years ago. If you look at it, if you look at the politics that are being played now, even someone like Ronald Reagan wouldn't be uh, considered a conservative <laughs> compared to today's uh, uh, standard of, of, what, of what Republicans are doing. And that's, and that's scary. <laughs> you said even Ronald Reagan be like, yeah, <laughs> Come on, you you mother's tripping. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, I think even Reagan would have to sit back and say, "Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. they're not invited to the barbecue again this year." <laughs> and the other thing is this: I mean, you, if you look at what um, even Bush forty three is is uh, in the Bush family in general, it seems like they have not um, been siding with, uh, with with Trump and, and that whole I don't know what you would call the uh, neocons. It, it's interesting to see what's going on in, in the states right now. And it's uh, it's pretty scary to be honest with you. So because, stay where uh, you are. Just you know, <laughs> let, let us know we're coming. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just let us know where we need to be, and we'll be over there with you. Got it, man. This is a uh, this is great though. This is great to hear these stories, man. It's uh, and and his legacy will be will be one for the record books. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And and I'm glad to that I was alive during this time and and to have witnessed it. I definitely feel like though. The type of individual that you guys were describing, I definitely feel like for some reason that if he had a ran and became president, I think he probably would have made a difference based on the individual you guys have described. I feel like he would have made a difference. And, you know, it's interesting, Carl, is the fact that, you know, if he would have ran, he would have definitely uh, received, um, uh, you know, support from across the aisle. I mean, of course. he would have bipartisan, bipartisan support. Of course. Because, I mean, he was one of those type of people who, you know, transcended a lot of different things. Like I said, you know, with watching him on the world stage was, was impressive. I mean, he would upstage everyone. He would come in and everybody would stop and look at him. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, man. I, I definitely, like I said, I definitely feel like he would have made uh, made a difference. But, you know, sometimes, you know, and I think, I think Denzel said this one time because, you know, and I'm not comparing it to our industry in any, in any way, shape, or form, but I'm talking about it in terms of when people that look like us, when black people are put in positions to be able to make differences and make changes, it's kind of like, so let's let's put it like this. Denzel, for example, working with Spike Lee versus Denzel working with another black director. Spike Lee's I don't want to say his agenda, but his mindset, his mindset was pretty clear in terms of what he saw as the big picture. And he, you know, he was very vocal about that. Right. Which not didn't necessarily jive or sit well with certain people in our industry in terms of it wasn't favorable. Right. But my point being, you would take a person like uh, Denzel, who is at the top, top of his game. You know, he's crossed over, you know, in terms of black, white even uh, international because they, you know, or Will Smith, where they would say, you know, he's talked about this, how, you know, they would say for a long period of time that black people or blacks don't, don't translate internationally, right? When it comes to this, you know, and they broke down those barriers and showed them that that's not true, mm -hmm. you know? And so, but when you're in those inner workings and you see all the different things going on, it's like, and you get put in that position and everyone's going, Hey, you know, Hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And they're like, yeah, I don't want to do the heavy lifting. Mm. There's a lot of heavy lifting involved with that, you know, because, you know, he, like I said, Denzel had been asked several times, why doesn't he start his own situation? It takes one of us and then there'll be many of us. So, you know, you have a situation like Tyler Perry, who's decided, all right, I'll pick up that mantle then, you know, I'll pick up that mantle and I'll ultimately lead the charge with regards to 
creating that that space that we're talking about. But yeah, and that and I think that's one of the reasons why. And I don't want to misspeak, obviously, but I think that's one of the reasons why he chose to do that as well because he's not waiting for Hollywood or anybody in Hollywood to give him those shots and opportunities and chances um, based on what he knows can be successful or you know his truth, so to speak. But it's a lot of heavy lifting, and a lot of times people don't want to do that based on what they know. Heavy lifting and tough decisions, you know, and and it's easy to get to those positions and that place in your life and not be willing to make those tough decisions or continuing to carry those heavy loads. Absolutely. Speak the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Truth sometimes is a hard pill to swallow. It could also set you free. I mean, Mm -hmm. truth is, uh, (laughs) Ooh, that's it. We could do a whole show on truth. That's for sure. <laughs> we can do a whole show on truth. Um, you know, the like, thing is, you know, speaking the truth and, and, and abiding by by what you believe is, you know, it takes it takes a lot of heart. You know, you, you can't be soft. You know, you have to be, you know, be a strong individual. And people just aren't honest. You know, there's a lot of weak people out there, a lot of weak personalities. Facts. Well, the truth, the truth is not normally popular. That's the thing. You know, when you're speaking the truth or living in truth or walking in the truth, this is uh, it's it's not it's not you're not going to win the popularity contest. You got to have thick skin and you got to know how to navigate those. And, and, you know, and you got to have the, the right support team, too. Because it, you could, it can get lonely after that. It, you could be on an island all by yourself, mm-hmm. and so that's the heavy lifting that we're talking about. Obviously, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You become a target at that point too, because again, it's not popular. <laughs> Gentlemen, man, this is dope. This is dope. Thank you for being a part of the show uh, today. Closing remarks, gentlemen. Closing remarks. Anything you want to leave our people with? Starting with you, Jeff. I'd like to say is, you know, if you get an opportunity, go look at or uh, read a couple of books that Colin pal put out, uh, whether it be on his leadership, whether it be on his biography. I think that you will find that you, know, you will learn a lot and you can actually relate to a lot of the things that he's saying and some of the, some of the experiences that he had. And I think it it'll only make you a better person at the end of the day. I can't say that, you know, you want to live your life like Colin Powell. I mean, you know, we, we all have our own individual lives, but, you know, I, like I said, you know, pick up the book. You know, whether you get it on Audible or, or what have you, and um, you know, do do some reflection. Do, do you know? And and like we've been talking about, you know, try to live your life a little bit better every day, and uh, speak the truth, be the truth. Ooh, 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 Peter. Listen, after that, I really don't have to say anything. But uh, right. I will. That's return. when you say. That's when you go. This is the black arm of the law. This Mike is Mike drop arm of the law. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate your time for today. I really. Appreciate you stopping in to uh, this very special edition of Black Arm of the Law, where we have uh, honored and paid homage to uh, one of our great leaders, uh, Mr. Colin Powell. Uh, Once again, thank you, Peter Edge. Once again, thank you, Jeff Lee, for joining me today on the Black Arm of the Law. Thank you for having us. Black Arm of the Law is hosted by Carl Payne. Produced by Ken Johnson, Bart Phillips, and Carl Payne. Assistant producer, Lauren Turner. Consulting producers, FBI Special Agent Retired Don Taylor and FBI Special Agent Retired George Graves. Edited by Rick Chill. Theme music by Jeff Redd, courtesy of Soul Real Records. Executive producers, Ken Johnson and Bart Phillips. Find Black Arm of the Law on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Black Arm of the Law is a mean old lion media production.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.